Good morning. My name is Nathan, if you don't know me, and I serve on the directional team, and I have to give a shout out to the school that I teach at. It's at Kansas Christian College, a little school on Metcalf and 74th. Um, just love my students there, and it's, it's a joy to teach there, and so and it's a joy to be with you. So I'm going to start out in prayer, and kids, I need your help, because I'm going to preach the, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer, but I'm not sure if I remember it all. So usually when you, when we pray, you just listen quietly, but this is not that time. If I make a mistake, shout out the correct term, okay? So you got it, kids? All right, let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in Arrowhead Stadium. Heaven. Heaven. Thank you. Give us, our, give us our daily delicious gourmet coffee. Bread. Oh, sorry. Thank you. And forgive us our trespasses as we will never forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive. Oh, okay. Forgive. Got it. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the Mizzou Tigers. Evil. Evil. Well, same thing, right? No. Okay. Okay. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory sometimes. Forever. Forever. Amen. Thank you so much, kids. Well, as we saw, we are continuing in our series in Acts that we kicked off last week. And um, as, as Reed said, uh, uh, the book of Acts is, um, is, a, is, a, is, a, is just an appropriate book for us to look at to, for our infant church, right? The starting of the church. And um, what's really important is to realize that it, we shouldn't look at it as a, a, a handbook, you know, for church planting. Um, neither is it a, a book that just merely chronicles what happened in that time. Yes, it is history, but that's not all it, it's not all it does. Um, I love what one, one of my professors when I was in seminary said. He, he says, the purpose isn't to chronicle what happened, but to configure the purpose is not to say, this is what happened and that's what happened, but rather, see the world this way and live accordingly, right? And so it's to shape us and then it challenges us. The purpose is to teach. And so what we are learning today is about prayer. And, and the main theme that we're going to look at today is commitment to our mission requires a commitment to prayer, okay? So, where are we then in the story then? Last week we covered the, the beginning part, and the story starts with Jesus. Now Jesus was, had resurrected from the dead. He, he, and then like a, a laser, he focuses on the kingdom of God. And then he teaches them um, that this is what they ought to do. Um, and then uh, he ascended into heaven. And then our story starts off from there in verse 12. Now, they walked back to Jerusalem. And I got to imagine 
what were they talking about, right? It's a Sabbath day journey back. So I can just imagine Peter going to Andrew, his brother, well, that just happened. They are now on their own for the very first time. You can imagine the, the psychology, what's going on here. You know, I imagine Joshua 1 being a very appropriate chapter because Joshua is now on his own for the first time. He was the, the guy, the number two guy, but now he's the number one guy. And now he's got to do this really challenging thing with Jericho. And I can imagine just do not fear. Be courageous. You know, and the disciples, are, they were the apprentice, but now they are the teachers. They're on their own. What were they talking about, right? I can't imagine the weight of what they're doing. The, whole, the fate of the world is now in their hands. We are all here today because of their faithfulness, right? And so then they get back and they gather together, all 11 of them and many, many more. What was the conversation like, you know? What were they feeling? We do, what we don't know, we can only speculate, but what we do know is what they, the first thing that they did, they prayed. And so what we see um, then first are three things that I think we can see from chapter one. It, it, the rest of chapter one is the first thing we see is that commitment to prayer eliminates the urge to hurry up God's prayer. Now, when you say that prayer is one of the most counterintuitive practice for modern lifestyle today, right? It doesn't make sense. Uh, Dallas Willard diagnosed a typical modern Western life and concluded the greatest enemy of spirituality is hurriedness. We're addicted to speed, faster Wi-Fi, faster highways, faster, you know, checkout aisles, right? Have you been a price shopper? You can now check out in your cart as you're shopping, and then you just have to just scan the bar and you're done, right? We're going fast and faster and faster. We used to have to chop wood and, you know, and build a fire and then tend to it to warm up the house. Now we can just go to the thermostat and Beep, you're done, right? We have smartphones. And, and so we can list so many time-saving technologies, and yet we are still complaining we don't have time. We're more tired than we have been. We are, ang we are anxious. Why? Because we fill our time with more work, more activities, right? And, and, and so this, this FOMO, the fear of missing out, it's a very real thing. So the tyranny of the urgent has created a frenetic pace of life that isn't sustainable. And so people are, 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 are just not getting better with the technologies, but we are, it seems like it's, it's getting worse. And so there's a spiritual theologian named Thomas Merton, and he went further and said, the rush and pressure of modern life is a pervasive form of contemporary violence. Those are strong words. The frenetic pace of life that we've normalized is slowly killing our souls. And if we're not careful, we can bring what we've normalized into the mission of our church. We bring our idolatry of speed and efficiency 
to our mission. What God never intended. You never who's never in a hurry. God. If you think about it, just read through scripture. Abraham was promised a son. How long did he have to wait? He was already old. 25 years. He was also promised a land. He would never see it. It would take 430 years before Israel would get the land. And but before they got the land, they, they were in captivity or in slavery. They were liberated, but not yet Israel. You've got to wait 40 more years wandering the desert, right? Many, many years later, they were exiled for 70 years, right? And then Malachi, the last book that was canonized in the Old Testament, was, was spoken. It wouldn't be another 400 years until Jesus comes to the scene. We just don't see God in a hurry. We want to pressure him, but he's like, nope. <laughs> Speaking of not being in a hurry, Jesus is never in a hurry. As his ministry went along, the demands of his time and energy was just mounting. And he resisted again and again and again. How many times do you read in the Gospels where he would go off alone to meet with the Father? He resisted society, our world's demand for hurriedness. Because he knew that it would destroy the soul. He recharged that time when he met with the Father. He deepened his relationship with the Father. And then, what did he do? He taught the disciples to do the same. How many times we've seen him teach them how to pray and say, hey, come with me to a secluded place. Where, did he spend more time with the crowds or with his disciples? The disciples. And so, by this time, when Jesus ascended, all that training and all that resistance to hurriedness was just muscle memory for the disciples. When Jesus ascended, when they got back, it was just muscle memory to pray. What else are they going to do? I mean, Jesus did tell them, wait for me, wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. So they pray. In Acts 1.14, it says they were continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And so there's so many benefits of when you just slow down and pray that we can see here. One is that they were, the prayer united God's people. Now don't miss the countercultural significance of, of women being added here. All right? I mean, it wasn't until 1920 till women were allowed to vote in America. Right? We're talking about 2,000 years ago when women were seen as property in Roman culture. Right? And so this is absolutely significant. See, in the kingdom of God, undiluted by the expectations of the world, women were said, go on the sidelines. They were actually expected to be in the front lines of mission. They prayed together. Prayer is a powerful practice to bond with all sorts of different kinds of people that you otherwise would never hang out with. You ever just feel that when you're praying together and you're just huddled in a circle? Or if you have, you're just laying hands on each other and you just pray, just, it creates a bond. You know what doesn't do that is hurriedness. Hurriedness takes you out of the moment. Hurriedness kills relationships. How many of us who are married know that 
that, that, that experience of just that hurriedness. I gotta, I gotta do all this work. I gotta take the kids to their activities. And then you have so much activities, you never have time for one another and your marriage suffers. Um, I, was, I recently was hearing this one comedian, Leanne Morgan. She's this, like, you, you gotta check her out. She has a funny accent, but she did the stand-up and she was talking about how she was so busy with her husband and her kids. And then when all the kids grew up and there was an empty nest, she looked at her husband and said, who are you? They're like, what do we do, you know? Hurriedness kills relationships. And the hurriedness of my iPad keeps closing us. Prayer also bonds people who previously used to oppose the gospel. You know who else is added? The, the brothers of Jesus. You read the gospels. Look at Matthew. At one point, Jesus was doing his ministry, and the brothers and even Mary herself were coming up, breaking through the crowd, said, "Okay, we got to get him. You're, you've lost your mind, Jesus." And they were trying to stop him from his ministry. And if you read in John, he says flat out, the brothers don't believe in him. Now they're readying themselves as part of the number to be witnesses of their brother Jesus. If you read in the book of James, he could have started out, you know, usually when you start out something, you want to say, hey, you need to listen to me. This is why. This is who I am. He could have said, I'm the brother of Jesus. Instead, he says, I'm the servant of Jesus. So we see that prayer is, is, just deepens the bond with people. Now here's the thing. The, the first Christians didn't just start out their mission in prayer. Prayer isn't just an event and then you move on. They were, what does it say, continually united in prayer. This falls in line with 1 Thessalonians 5.17 when Paul says, pray continually or pray without ceasing, right? This, this translation continually, though, I think in the CSB, doesn't quite capture the intensity of what that is. In the original language, it's they steadfastly, continually, continuing, we're continuing in, to be united in prayer. Or in the ESB, the apostles were with one accord, were devoting themselves in prayer. So I was thinking about it, and, I, and, and this is what I was coming up with. The intensity is kind of like uh, that one scene in Mission Impossible, where Tom Cruise's character, Ethan Hawke, needed to get on this plane that was going off. So he ran off as it was going on the runway, and before he gained speed, he was managed to get on top of the plane. And so then, the, the, the plane was just taken off, and so he couldn't hold on anymore, and so he flew to the side and was holding on to dear life, uh, flapping in the wind, and you can just see his face going like this, and his hair flapping this way. And he, he knew that his friend, who was on the ground, had, had taken over the controls of the plane. And he said to them, open the door! And he's flapping, holding on. And, and he, this friend is, is just kind of fumbling around because it's in Russian. And it's just an intense moment because he's going to die. And also, I was thinking... Is this real? Because I know Tom Cruise does his own stunts. This is crazy. So my heart is just standing still. And so he, he's, always, he's just shouting now, open the door, open the door. He's like, I'm trying. And he couldn't. Finally, he opened the door and he gets in. When we try to do God's mission 
without prayer. It's like Ethan Hawke flapping in the wind. No matter how strong-willed you are, no matter how disciplined you are, eventually you will let go. Because though some of us are redeemed by Christ, we still struggle with sin. And it's an ongoing thing. And if we don't have the practice of prayer, we will be flapping in the wind and we will let go. And then we will go on in our own agenda. Prayer unites us with God and and, and, and we, we become more like God. And you know what prayer is like then in that analogy? Prayer is like being in the plane. The plane goes off and it reaches top speeds of five to six hundred miles an hour. But it's okay. Because you are united with God. You prayer recognizes that you can't do this on your own. That you need power. That you are not on your own. Right? So You also know that there's a pilot. His name is Jesus. And that's what the ascension, the message of the ascension is all about. Jesus didn't go to be away from the mission, take a break from the mission. Jesus is actually helming the mission from the headquarters. Right? So then uh, you know that the, the plane will reach its destination. There might be some turbulence because Jesus never promised that the mission would be easy, but it's going to be okay. Mission will succeed. So, it is spiritual suicide then to not pray, right? And so the disciples held on. So the intensity is actually a peaceful intensity, right? Um, It wasn't a stressful, hurried thing. They were at peace. And so it's an intensity of like, yes, I will be on the plane. I'm at peace. The intensity is like, well, do you want to get out of the plane? Uh, no. Like there's that intensity, right? You hold on to prayer. And so we see that they have this intensity. And, and, and what's fascinating about the rest of chapter one is it, they didn't stop praying. They kept praying. And it looks different now, okay? So in verses 15 to 22, we see that they are still praying despite what's happening here. So, in 115, it says, In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters, the number of people who were together was about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, it was necessary that the Scripture be fulfilled, that the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of David, foretold about Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was one of our number and shared in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with his unrighteous wages. He fell head first, his body burst open, and his intestines spilled out. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem, so that in their own language the field is called Hakodama, that is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling become desolate, let no one live in it, and let t- someone take his position. Therefore, among the men who have accompanied us during this whole time, the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us. From among these, it is necessary that one become a witness with us of 
his resurrection. So, the second thing we see from this is commitment to prayer listens to the word of God for his mission. Um, The mission needs a command, right? And this is where we find our command. This is where we can stay on task, right? So like any conversation, prayer isn't just um, you speaking. It's also listening. And there's different ways to listen to God. You could listen in silence. You could listen and hear from God in Scripture. You could also listen to God's Word in preaching. And there's many different ways. So as Peter gets up to speak, the gathered first Christians are still praying as they are listening here. And, and so he addressed the elephant in the room. Their friend, their former friend and brother, Judas, is no longer with them. Worse, he's betrayed them. So you can imagine the feelings that's, that was just in the room. There's shock and trauma and sadness, even anger. Right? And so Peter was pastoring to the flock, and he said in verse 16, Brothers and sisters, it was necessary that the scriptures be fulfilled. So he quoted from Psalm 69 and from 109. And if you go back and read those Psalms, they're they're both the type of Psalms that is a desperation cry to God, Save me, O God! Right? And then just praying against the enemy. And, and, and and, And so. The, the Psalms weren't exactly predictions of Judas, but Judas fit the mold of the enemies that David was praying against. And so now what? God, I mean, good listening isn't just, okay, I get what you're saying, or just hearing. Good listening responds, right, to show that you are listening. And even better listening responds with action. And so prayer is the first step of connecting what you believe or your theology to godly action, right? It's, it's, it's like a sinew, like it, it connects the two. It's always the first step. And so a lot of thought went into those scriptures. What do we do about Judas? And so the scriptures spoke to them and they prayed about it. And they responded with the necessity of replacing him. And so when they were talking about, we need to find someone who's been there from the very beginning. They're, they're thinking about, well, Judas was with us from the very beginning. That's why it was so painful. Right? Someone who is a witness to Jesus and all this. So it's not, it's not a cold-hearted thing. Well, we've got to find a replacement. It was also a way to process. And prayer was a healing aspect of that. And Peter was, was saying, it was, it, it, all this was born out of prayer. Peter was pastoring to them and saying, okay, this is our next step. So this leads us to our third and final aspect of prayer. Commitment to prayer asks what God wants in his mission. So if you read in 1, 23 to 26, it says this. They, so they proposed to Joseph called Barsabas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, You, Lord, know everyone's hearts. Show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this apostolic ministry that Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. 
Now Judas was numbered among the 12. Now there's only 11. That's a problem, right? So it's not just processing what happened to Judas. Now they got to tackle a problem that Judas left behind. It had to be 12. When Jesus chose 12 apostles, it was intentional. It wasn't happenstance, right? Um, There were 70 disciples, at least, that we know about, that Jesus sent out when he did short-term mission trips, right? But there were only 12 apostles. Not 11, not 13, 12. Why? Because it's a number recognition thing. We associate numbers with things. So if I ask you, what do you associate 23 with? Michael Jordan. My students nowadays probably would say LeBron James, and so we debate all the time who's the GOAT. And I'm like, no, 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 you're a prisoner of the moment. It's Michael Jordan, and they just get bad at me. It's like, you don't know what you're talking about. Go back to class. Uh, Yes, Michael Jordan, right? If I say 50, you'll probably say states, right? We have all sorts of number associations. Who were the first audience to the the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God? The Jews. And when you talk to a Jew about 12, immediately their brain will go to the people of God. When Israel, or Jacob, who was later renamed Israel, he had 12 sons. And those 12 sons constituted the beginning point of the nation of Israel. So 12 communicated to to the Jews, we're doing something new here. Israel now is expanding. Here is the people of God, and we're including the Gentiles, right? And so it's a number thing. And so it was was part of the mission. Now there's only 11. What do we do? We've got to replace that. One One reason we know this is because you never hear about Matthias again. So in Acts, he's not an important character for the story to be told. So it's not about Matthias, it's about the number 12. And and really, if you look at the whole book of Acts, it's about the expansion of the kingdom of God, about the inclusion of the Gentiles, and how to make sense of all of that. And then saying to to the church who would later read it, keep going, keep going, keep expanding the kingdom of God. All that is to say, when, 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 when they were so committed to mission, why? Because prayer forms a bond with God where you, you can, when you're unhurried and you, you listen to what God is saying and do, you, you can't help but become more and more like Jesus. You just become like people you hang out with. If you ever go to the mall, I see, I see teenagers and they're all dressed alike. Like, you have the goth group right here. You have the popular kids here. Or you have sporty people here. And they all look alike and talk alike. And, you know, uh, when I was in, my seminary was in Orlando, Florida. Even though that's not the South, a lot of the students were from the South, from Alabama, Tennessee, Georgia. And so I, I ended up talking like them because I spent so much time with them. And then when I moved to Chicago, someone said, where are you from? I said, what do you mean? He's like, you've got kind of a twang in your voice. I was like, really? So I worked hard to get rid of it. But, but you just become like those you become, uh, spend time with. And so when you spend time with God, you become like him. And so what God loves, we love. What God despises, 
we despise. And so prayer is that pathway of becoming what we are truly designed to be, images of God, to reflect him, to glorify him. And it's, the only, it's only natural to, to then, when we commit to prayer, to ask, instead of what we want, actually it is what we want, because what we want is what God wants. So it's natural to ask what God wants, because it becomes what we want, if that makes sense. So enough talk about prayer. I always hate it when we're in small groups and we're like, well, do you have any prayer requests? And we spend like 20 minutes in prayer requests and then just two minutes in prayer. It's like, so instead of talking about it, let's practice as a church in prayer. 